Thank you. That is, that is so kind. Um, it's so honoring to be here at Seacoast. Um, you guys get to experience this every weekend here in Mount Pleasant and, and across Charleston, across the state, and up in Nashville. And you experience it every weekend, and you, you probably don't understand the impact of, of, of Seacoast. The, the worship is, is amazing at all of the campuses. The impact just goes and goes and goes. In fact, Greg talked about uh, some of the churches that are being planted. One of those churches is in Castle Rock, South Carolina, or Castle Rock, Colorado, and I, I had the opportunity to, to be a part of helping plant that with Ernest Smith and some of the team that came from Seacoast. And I want to tell you, that is the fastest growing church plant in Denver in the last 10 or 15 years, and God's just blessing. And so the, 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 bless, the, the, the impact of Seacoast just continues to go, and it's so much fun to come back, to be with you and with family, and, and, and my dad actually moved back here a few weeks ago, and, and now my daughter moved from Charleston to Colorado for a couple years, and now she has moved back and is here uh, working with Seacoast and, and, and back in Charleston, so so much fun to come back and kind of reminisce. We were here for 14 years, and then we've, we've, moved, we've, we've been gone for about four. We've lived in Colorado for, for three years. And Colorado is a, a beautiful state. Now that we've lived there a while, we, we kind of feel at home and feel connected, part of the culture. And how many of you have been to Colorado? Spending time in few, quite a few have. Colorado uh, is, is unique, very, very different than the South, very different than South Carolina. I'm going to give you a couple of things to kind of help you out to understand the, the difference. Here, here in the South, you guys have four seasons. So you have, you know, winter and spring and fall. We, we in Colorado, we only have three seasons. We have ski season, we have hiking season, and we have rehabilitation season. Okay, those are the only three seasons we have. Someone said that until you've been injured in Colorado in the mountains, you're not really a Coloradan. And Sherry and I felt bad because we'd lived there for a couple of years, we hadn't been hurt yet. So last summer, I bought a couple of ATVs and we got that taken care of, okay? <laughs> Sherry now has a torn rotator cuff and my MCL is torn. So we're, we're now in good shape, we're, we're injured. A couple other things you need to know about Colorado. Um, in Colorado, you know, here in, especially in South Carolina, you've got, you know, are you a Clemson fan or a South Carolina fan? Or are you a Georgia fan? Boo, 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 I get that. And, you know, you have baseball, football, all that. Colorado, we only have two teams, okay, that we care about. We care about the Denver Broncos and then all those other teams, okay? So that's all we got. You are a, you're a Denver Bronco fan or we ask you to move away. That's, that's it. And then one other thing, you have something here in the South and you have lots and lots and lots of them. And in Colorado, we have none, zero. And I got to tell you, don't miss them at all. And what you have here that you have plenty of is bugs, okay? You have roaches, palmetto bugs, gnats, no seed. You got all of those. Colorado, we don't have any. I've not seen a single roach in three years, okay? So what that means is you all need to come see us, okay? So come on out this summer. It's beautiful. We got room, and we'll hang out. It'll be a blast. So much fun to be here. I love this series, Marked. Uh, based on the Gospel of Mark. I love the book of Mark because I, I kind of think it was written for ADD people like me, right? Because it's short, a lot of stories, not a lot of teaching, and then Mark's all over the place. I mean, he just grabs story wherever he wants to. So, so it works for me. And so today in the series, we're going to talk about Mark chapter 2, actually. If you have a Bible, you can look at that, or if you have a device, you can find it online, or, or we'll have some scripture, or you've got some in an outline sheet. And we're going, to, we're going to call today Marked by a Miracle. Would you pray with me before we dive into that? Father, thank you. Just such a privilege and honor to be not just here at Seacoast, but to be um, asked to 
represent you and to speak your word. And Lord, you know I'm not up to that task. And so, Lord, I, I ask that you'll speak to me and through me. And Lord, over the next few minutes, that your words will be truth and will penetrate people's lives. And so, Lord, we give, we just give the next few minutes to you in your name. We ask it. Amen. So we're going to talk about miracles. Let me, let, let me throw a story out, and, and, and you tell me whether or not this is a miracle. So I, I was in 10th grade. I was a sophomore in St. Louis, Missouri, and I, one of my classes was Western Civilization. And in Western Civ, we studied six ancient civilizations. And on our final, the teacher said, you will have to write an essay about one of those six civilizations. And here's how it will work. You will randomly receive a test, and on that test there'll be two civilizations, and you'll pick one of those and write an essay. Now, the really studious, great students who were there to learn studied all six civilizations so they'd be ready when the test came, okay? Those of us who weren't so studious but pretty smart figured out how many civilizations, this is a math test, how many civilizations did you need to study to make sure that at least one of them would be on the test? Five, right? So if you study, you'd go home and ask your math friend or whatever. If you study five, you know you're going to get one of them. Some people might have gambled and said, you know, I'm only going to study four because what are the chances she'll pick the two I didn't study? And then if you're really crazy, you might go three because you're lazy and yeah, I studied one, okay? One of the six civilizations, all right? So I had, I don't know the percentages, but I had a really small chance that, I, that, one of the, that the one I studied, I studied Egypt, would be on the test. But I didn't start studying until like 10 o'clock the night before, so I didn't have a lot of time. So I did one. So I walk in, I open up the test book, open it up. First civilization listed that I could write an essay on was Rome. I didn't know anything about Rome. I couldn't even spell Rome, okay? And the second civilization on the test was Egypt. That's right. Isn't that amazing? It's a miracle. Woo! I wrote my essay. I got a decent grade. I passed the class because I received a miracle from heaven. Is that a miracle? No, oh, it might be. Could be. What about if you have a bracket in the NCAA tournament, March Madness, right? Right, right? Or maybe you have 10 brackets. Or one of your brackets, though, is still good. I mean, not just good. You've picked every game right so far. You picked UAB. You picked NC State. You are cruising. You're looking at this bracket going, oh, my goodness. What if you get to the end of the tournament and you pick every single game correct? Is that a miracle? Wow. What about it's Christmas. It's a weekend before Christmas. And you wake up like I do the weekend before Christmas and go, I should start Christmas shopping. And you go to Walmart, where I shop for Christmas presents, and you go to Walmart the weekend before Christmas, and it's packed, and the parking lot's packed, and you're driving through the traffic, and right when you get next to the door, parking place opens up right there, and you pull into that parking place. How many times has that happened, and you've gone, it's a miracle! In our family, we're so strange, we text each other about the parking places we get. I got a miracle parking place. Is it a miracle? So that's what we talk about. We talk about miracles. I just want to kind of talk about three questions about miracles and kind of dive in and, and, and see what's a miracle, what's not. But more importantly, what will God do in our life, in my life, in your life? So first question, what is a miracle? What is a miracle? According to Webster, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. 
My definition, a little more basic. I would say a miracle is something so extraordinary, something so extraordinary that it can only be explained by God. A miracle is something so extraordinary that it can only be explained by God. So do my examples fit? Do they match the definition? Getting Egypt when I didn't study I don't think that's only explained by God. I think that's a crazy coincidence that later led to me doing very poorly in school, okay? <clears throat> NCAA tournament, probably lucky. Uh, getting that spot at Walmart, probably not a miracle. Something so extraordinary, it can only be explained by God. And here's the reality, in a crowd this size, and then the number of people that are watching online, and the number of people that are at all of the campuses, there are many people here right now, today, who if you were really honest, you would say, in my life or in a friend's life, there is something that I need that is so extraordinary that if it happens, it can only be explained by God. There are people here that need a miracle. Some people have a relational miracle. Your marriage is at the end and you need a miracle if it's gonna be saved. You have a son or a daughter who is out there somewhere, and it would take a miracle for them to come back and be reconciled with your family. Some of you have an addiction that is so strong that everything you've tried, you've not been able to break that addiction. It would take a miracle, something extraordinary to change that. Some of you have a health thing going on where the doctor has said, we have no more ideas. And it would take a miracle for something to change. So there are people here today that you need something so extraordinary that can only be explained by God. So do we believe in miracles? Do miracles really happen? I mean, you read about that stuff in the Bible and thousands of years ago, and they didn't have scientific explanations. They didn't understand the scientific method. They don't understand how gravity and nature and all that works. And so they maybe believed in miracles. Could we possibly, in 2015, be intelligent people who believe in miracles? Let me tell you why I believe that miracles really happen. Let me give you a couple of reasons. One reason I believe that miracles happen is just what I observe in nature. That makes me believe in miracles. When I lived here in Charleston, we had a little 19-foot fishing boat, and I would go out fishing uh, by myself on the tidal creeks. And, and don't worry, no fish were harmed in the process. Um, I'm a terrible fisherman. But I would be out on the tidal creek the sun would be going down. I would see dolphins swim by on the river. I'd see bait fish just breaking the surface of the water. I'd see birds swoop down and grab the fish. I would hear the clicking of the oysters in the oyster rakes. And sitting there all by myself, nobody else around, I would just be overawed by something so extraordinary that could only be explained by God. I remember 28 years ago, my wife and I lived in Houston, and my wife gave birth to our first son, to Michael. And I remember standing in the hospital, and the, the doctor handed the baby to the nurse, and the nurse handed the baby to me. And I remember standing there holding this, this tiny little human being with 10 fingers and 10 toes, and, and he was so perfect. And just a few minutes before, we'd never seen him. And just a few months before, he didn't even exist and from nothing to human being and to me being his dad, it was, it was overwhelming. 
It was something so extraordinary that it could only be explained by God. And so for me, nature is one thing that tells me I, be, I believe in miracles. I also believe in miracles because things I've experienced, things I've seen, I've seen miracles happen in people's lives. I remember um, many years ago, my wife and I pastored uh, a church, a small church in a town called Huffman, Texas. No one has ever heard of Huffman, Texas. It's a tiny little community right outside of Houston. One post office, two, two, uh, two gas stations. That's the, that's, that's the whole town. And we had a little church in that community. And, and one day a lady walked into the church and she did, you could tell she wasn't from around there. She didn't dress like the other people. She didn't talk like the other people. And so after church, I, I introduced myself and met Kathy. And <clears throat> Kathy said she had just moved to Huffman from Hollywood, California. And we said, how in the world, why in the world did you move from Hollywood to Huffman? And she said, honestly, I was looking for the opposite of Hollywood. Whatever there is there, I wanted the opposite. So I wanted a little rural town where no one knew me and I didn't know anybody. And Kathy had come with her two daughters and she'd left behind her husband and the party lifestyle they had been living and all the heartbreak and pain. And she came to Huffman to, to rebuild her life, to start over again. A few weeks later, she finally gave her husband permission to follow her out there. And so I, I met Bernie. And as I got to know Bernie and we began to share life and, and, and share Christ with Bernie, he, he committed his life to Christ. And Bernie began to tell me his background. He said, I have been in rehab so many times I've lost count. I've gone to AA meetings high. I have read the big book while drinking a beer. He said, I have, I have been an alcoholic and, drug, and addicted to drugs for, for, for such a long time. But we saw this change happen in Bernie over weeks and months. And I had Bernie stand on the stage with me one, one Christmas Sunday. And I said, Bernie, tell us where you were a year ago today. And he said, a year ago today, I was standing on a corner in Hollywood, and I was trying to buy cocaine because I needed something to get through the day. My wife was gone, my kids were gone, my life was gone, and I just needed another high. And I said, Bernie, what, what's happened since then? He said, I gave my life to Christ. He said, I've been clean and sober for eight months. He said, my life is changing. And now if we fast forward many years later, Bernie and Kathy are still married. Uh, one of their daughters married a youth pastor. Another daughter married a missionary. To me, to me, to go from an alcoholic drug addict in Hollywood to a Christ-following church guy in Huffman, Texas with kids who are ministers, to me, that's something so extraordinary. It can only be explained by God. It's a miracle. So I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. I see them in nature. I believe in miracles. I've experienced them in people around me. I've experienced them in, in, in my own life. I believe in miracles because I, I believe the stuff that I read in the Bible. I mean, I believe in this God. I believe that God created the universe. If you believe in a God that can create the universe out of nothing, if you believe in a God who could come to earth as a little baby, live a sinless life, die on a cross, be dead for three days, and then after three days on his own just get back up and come back to life, if you believe in that kind of story, then you can believe in miracles because that God still exists. In fact, when they survey Americans, 80% of Americans, regardless of their religious background, 80% of Americans say they believe in miracles. So what miracle do you need in your life? Now, I'm not saying that, that today you believe it's going to happen. I, I'm not saying that you even believe in miracles. 
But on the outline sheet you got when you came in today, there's a little blank that says, what miracle do you need to see in your life? And here's my challenge, is whether you're a guy this morning sitting here just listening because you, you, know, you had to come, your wife dragged you here, I understand that, I get that. Or maybe you're a lady or you're a teenager or, or, or wherever you're at. Why don't you write down on that piece of paper a miracle? Maybe it's something in your life. Maybe it's in a relative's life, a friend's life. It can be a name. It can be just something that means something to you. And hang on to that because we're going to talk about it a little bit later. What miracle do you need today? So we talked about what is a miracle, something so extraordinary that it could only be explained by God. We've kind of said, do we believe in miracles? And I do. I believe they happen. So let's talk about one more question. We're going to talk about how do miracles work? And we're going to go, now we're going to go to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at a miracle that Jesus did in Mark chapter 2 and draw out four or five principles about how miracles will work in our life. We're going to start in Mark chapter 2, verse verse 1. And it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Now this guy's having quite a day. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had one of those days, you know, a day where the day starts out bad and then it gets worse and then you think this day couldn't possibly get worse and then the day gets worse. You've had one of those. That's what's happening to this guy. Okay, he's paralyzed. He's been paralyzed probably most of his life, maybe all of his life. So he's just laying at home, not bothering anybody. It's rough. He's, you know, how does he get money? How does he get food? All of that. But it's his life. Okay, he's used to it. And then these guys show up, his friends show up and they say, dude, this is so cool. Guess who is in town? It's the miracle man. He says, who? uh, Jesus. His name's Jesus. Anyway, he's a miracle man. He goes around. He heals people, dude. He has healed blind people. He has has healed people who can't hear. He has even healed people who can't walk like you. Dude, this is your day. You are going to be healed. The guy's like, guys, how in the world would I get to the miracle man? He says, that's some great news. We're taking you. And without saying anything else, they grab his bed and start carrying him through the middle of town. How many of you would, be, would like to be laying in bed and then have four friends show up and carry your bed through town with you laying on your bed? That is not a pretty picture to me. So that's what happens to this guy. He doesn't know anything about the miracle man. He doesn't want to be carried through town. He gets to the house. And then when they get there, they can't get in. The place is packed. People are in the windows. People are in the door. There are people surrounding the house. Even if they could fight their way through the crowd with the bed to get to the door, they couldn't possibly get in the the house. And so now this man who is paralyzed, no hope to walk, has reached a circumstance there's no way to get through. It's impossible. And this is the first principle of how miracles work. Miracles always begin with impossible situations. Miracles always begin with impossible situations. If you're facing a situation in your life where you're trying to decide between a couple of options, you don't need a miracle. If you just need some wisdom on how to make a business decision, you don't need a miracle. And God will help you with those things, and Christian friends will, but those aren't miracles. But if you're facing a situation that you can't figure out, if you're facing a situation that you can't work your way through, 
If you're facing an impossible situation, then you're in a position where God can work a miracle, where God can do something so extraordinary can only be explained by God because miracles always begin with impossible situations. Let's look at the second principle in verse 4. So they get there, they can't get in the house. So they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Listen, think about this. Just get a picture in your mind of what happens in this verse. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Who does that? Who shows up at a concert and it's sold out and they say, let's go on the roof, that'll be great. We'll go down through the roof. No one does that. Think about this, get this picture. Jesus, uh, most likely in, in Jewish culture, Jesus is sitting down teaching people. And they're sitting and standing and they're in the windows and it's crowded, there's people right here. It's the Son of God teaching and the people are soaking up every word. And all of a sudden Jesus says, be kind to your neighbor and bam, a piece of roof hits him in the head. And he's like, what is that? And boom, another piece of roof hits him. And a, a hole opens up and they can see the sun through the roof. And here's the deal. This is not a little hole. They are going to lower a man on a bed through this hole. So they rip this gaping hole in the roof. And now all of a sudden, a bed starts being lowered in front of Jesus. This is crazy. And it's the second principle of miracles. In every miracle, God has a part and I have a part. Every miracle, God has a part and I have a part. See, miracles aren't about God waving a magic wand or God doing this, this spell. In every miracle, God is asking me to do my part. If I'm praying for a financial miracle, the question is, is am I being financially responsible? Have I gone through financial peace with Dave Ramsey? Am I applying those principles? Do I have a budget? Am I living within my means? If you're praying for a relational miracle, are you doing your part? Have you, have you confided with a trusted friend and asked them to point out blind spots in your own way that you're relating to other people? Are you reading books and listening to podcasts, listening to messages, and then applying those things in your relationship? Are you doing everything that's within you in order to rebuild that relationship? Because in every miracle, God has a part, I have a part. Now, let's look at the next principle. Mark, uh, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Think about that. Guy's laying here. He, they've torn a roof. They've lowered him down. He's laying in front of the entire community. They see him laying there. And Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. Can imagine him thinking, dude, that's great. Thank you so much. I was kind of hoping more for the healing thing. I was hoping I could get up and walk, you know, because we've gone to all this trouble. Thank you for telling the entire community that I'm a sinner, and that's great. Thank you for that so much. Here's the principle. Miracles will seldom look like I think they should look. Miracles will seldom look the way I think they should look. When I pray for a miracle, I pretty much know how it's supposed to be answered. I've got kind of a blueprint for God to follow. God, I've done my part. Now here's how you do your part. And God almost never follows my blueprint. A guy comes to Jesus who's blind. 
He expects Jesus just to lay his hand on him and heal him. Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, puts mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash in a pool. He goes and washes in the pool, then he's healed. A guy in the Old Testament named Naaman gets leprosy. He hears about a, a prophet in Israel who might pray for him, and so he comes to the prophet and asks to pray to be healed. And the prophet says, no, here's what you need to do. Go down to the dirty, nasty, stinky Jordan River where all the sewage from Israel flows into. Get in that river, dip yourself seven times, and then you'll be healed. And Naaman says, no, 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 no. You, do, you don't get it. That's not how healing works. Healing is you say a little prayer, you touch me, pour a little oil, boom, I'm healed. The prophet goes, boom, no. You go to the Jordan River seven times you dip. Naaman says to his servant, there's no way. I am not going to do this. We have better rivers where I came from. I am not dipping in the nasty Jordan River. It's not going to happen. His servant says, dude, here's the deal, okay? We can go back to the country you came from. When we get there, guess what? You'll have leprosy. Things will fall off of you. You'll die, okay? Or you can go dip in the river seven times. We'll go back where we came from. Probably things will fall off of you. You'll die. But there's a chance you get healed. Naaman goes, all right. So he goes, he does it, he dips in the river seven times, and God heals him. See, miracles almost never work out the way I planned for them to work. There's a time in my life when I needed something so extraordinary that it could only be explained by God. In 1996, my wife and I moved here to Charleston. Back then, the auditorium was this little section right there. That was all it was. As I told you, I had pastored the little church in Texas, and during that time of pastoring, our marriage had taken a beating. In fact, we got married when we were 19 and 20, and, and I was incredibly immature. I didn't understand how to be a husband or how to balance life and work, or home and work or how to take care of my wife or how to love my wife in a way that she understood or how to take care of my wife's needs. I didn't understand any of that stuff. I didn't understand good communication. And, and our, our, our marriage had taken a beating through ministry and then pastoring, and then I left the pastor and and, 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 and taught computer for a while, and, and our marriage began to fray and fray and fray. And then when it was right, just barely there, I said, hey, let's move all, away from all of our friends, all of our connections, all of our support. Let's move to Charleston, where we know almost no one. And we packed up when we moved here. And the ironic thing, I was hired at Seacoast to be the family, uh, family and marriage pastor. So I oversaw children's ministry, parenting ministry, and I'm supposed to be the guy teaching people how to have a strong marriage, and my marriage is over. In fact, there came a point one day when Sherry said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And then at, at the last minute, she said, you know what? I'm going to wait till the kids are out of school, and then I'm gone. And, and in that inter, intermediate time, Seacoast had a marriage retreat, and I had to go. I'm the marriage pastor, and I had to go... <laughs> And Michael Morris was leading that marriage retreat, but I had to sit on the front row and up in Litchfield. And during that retreat, Michael told everyone to stand up and everybody face your, your spouse. And Sherry and I are down there feeling like every eye is on us. And he said, I want you to look deep into your spouse's eyes and I want you to say, I love you. We had not exchanged two words in a week. We felt so empty and fake pretending to say, I love you. And then Michael said, this afternoon, we don't have anything planned. We want every couple just to spend the afternoon together enjoying each other. It was miserable. It was miserable. We went back to our hotel room, and 
We sat down, there was a couch, and we hadn't spoken in weeks, so there's no communication. And we turned on a television. And after a few minutes, Sherry turned the television off. And she turned to me and she said, she said, I, I want to be your friend. Something broke inside. A dam broke that had held this resentment and bitterness and anger toward my wife. And all I could say is, I want to be your friend too. And in my picture of the miracle, that fixed everything and our marriage became strong and we figured out communication and it was all healed and all the hurts were behind us. And the reality was, is what happened that day in a hotel in Litchfield is the beginning of a miracle that is still playing out 17 years later. And we are still learning how to be husband and wife. Today, we've been married 32 years. We, she's my best friend. She's with me on this trip. We love to travel together. We love to hang out together. We love just being together. But it's been a 17-year miracle that's had ups and downs and high points and low points. And the reality is that's how miracles happen. They almost never happen in the neat, clean, perfect way we think, but in the perfect way of God's timing. Let's look at a couple more principles. Principle number four, we pick it up in verse six. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, why is he saying this is blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately, uh, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Ask yourself this question that Jesus asked. For real, ask yourself this question. Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Seriously, which is easier? Which is easier to say? If you saw somebody paralyzed after church, would it be easier for you to say your sins are forgiven, or would it be easier to say stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? We would all say it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. And what Jesus is saying, you're missing the entire point. He's saying the real miracle is principle number four. The most significant miracles are often unseen. Jesus is saying the miracle here is this man's sins are being forgiven. He has eternity in heaven to look forward to. He's saying this miracle costs so much that in a few days I'm going to be put to death because to see this miracle Miracles, the most significant miracles, are often unseen. You see, I want God to do a miracle and change my circumstances. God wants to do a miracle and change my character. God wants to do an internal miracle. Here's what's a miracle. A miracle is a guy who's been addicted to porn for years, and his wife knows, and it's deteriorated their relationship, and she feels hurt and cheapened, and he feels awful, and he can't break it, and then he finds the power from God to break this addiction, and his marriage begins to be healed, and his wife begins to forgive, and he begins to be the man that God created him to be. That's a miracle. We don't put that on the front of the magazine cover. We don't uh, put, uh, you know, in the evening news, that miracle. But that's a miracle. A miracle is when a man who has been addicted to alcohol and drugs for years is able to break that addiction. A miracle is when someone who has been riddled with anxiety and had anxiety attacks is able to face life and is able to go into situations they were never able to go in because God is at work healing them from the inside out. A miracle is a woman who 20 years later finds it in herself 
to forgive the relative who abused her when she was a little girl. You don't read about that miracle. We can't see that miracle. But that's a miracle. That's an incredible miracle. Those are the kinds of miracles, guys. Those are the kinds of miracles God wants to do today. Today. Those unseen but so significant miracles. Let me share one more principle and we'll be done. Verse 10. Jesus says, So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. You see, the last principle is that real miracles always bring glory to God. Always bring glory to God. That's why my study one Egyptian civilization doesn't count as a miracle. That's why Walmart doesn't count as a miracle. That's why your bracket doesn't count as a miracle. Those are coincidences, but they don't bring glory to God. Real miracles always, always, always bring glory to God. So here's my question. Many of you wrote down on that piece of paper a miracle. Most of us can think of a miracle that we want to see happen. It's an impossible thing. It's, it's something we don't see how it could happen. We know someone or in our own life. What are you going to do with that miracle? What are you going to do with that challenge? Are you going to walk out today with everything the same? Or is today a day when you're going to say, God, for the first time, the tenth time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, I'm going to lay this before you, desperate to see something so extraordinary that can only be explained by God? Are you going to go to a trusted Christian friend and say, you've got to carry this with me, you've got to pray with me? Are you going to carry that piece of paper in your wallet so that every day at lunch you can pull it out over at lunch and say, God, I'm laying this before you one more time? Because here is what is amazing. I know two things today. I know that God is here because I believe when, when, when the Bible tells me that where two or three people are in one place and agree, are, are in one place worshiping God, that God's in the middle of them. And we have way more than two or three. In every campus and online, we have, we have dozens and hundreds and thousands of people all together in God's presence. God is with us. God is here. And then God has the power to do miracles. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Think about that verse. Listen to that verse. Don't let it roll off. Here's my prayer for you today, that you would understand. You, you, you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Incredible greatness. Who's that power for? It's for us who believe. What kind of power is it? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I believe in the next few minutes, God will do something significant. In fact, something so extraordinary. The only explanation is God at work. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for your word and your example. 
And I believe that Jesus showed us when he healed the lame man in Mark chapter 2 what a miracle looks like. Lord, I pray today there are people in this audience that have such, such challenges I can't even imagine. Marriages that are frayed to the very edge. Sons and daughters that are just out there so far. Addiction, depression, anxiety, finances. Hurts. Lord, we pray for miracles today. I know you can. I know you're here. I know you desire. I know you have the power. So we pray over the next few minutes that you will just begin the work that you're going to do as we turn it over to you. And we ask it in your name. Amen.